TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to The Wellness Guys Show with wellness experts Dr. Lawrence Tam, Dr. Damien Christoph, and Dr. Brett Hill. Welcome to The Wellness Guys. I'm Lawrence Tam. I'm Damien Christoph. And I'm Brett Hill. And this is The Wellness Guys Show, weekly show dedicated to bringing wellness to your lives and Guys, it's great to have all of you on at the same time. I know I was absent for the last couple of ones. But uh, hey, boys, it's uh, interesting times. And, uh, you know, we've got a very really interesting topic today. We've never, ever brought this up ever before and actually didn't even know about it. And I mentioned it the other day. So, Brett, would you like yes. to introduce our special guest? Today? Absolutely. Absolutely. I've been having an email exchange backwards and forwards with this guest, and, and I've just been fascinated by it. And I realized that we just had to share this on the show. You know, he started his career, much like Damien, in financial accounting. Um, but changed career paths into natural medicine and, home- and has been a homeopathic practitioner since 1984. He's lectured in nine different countries. He's done a whole bunch of research. He's an honorary research fellow of the Faculty of Science at Federation University, Ballarat, Australia. Um, and now he's also on the advisory board of a new political party called the Health Australia Party. So welcome to the show, Dr. Isaac Golden. Thanks very much, Brett. It's, it's lovely to be with you and, and your co-presenters and your audience. Mate, I'm really excited to have you on board because this is going to be a fascinating topic and I really can't wait to talk to you all about this party and, and what it's about and why it's so important. But before we get into that, I guess we probably should start by talking a bit about you and, and how you did start this career. You know, back in 1984, what, what was it that made you decide that you might like to get into homeopathy? <laughs> Yes, that is a long story. Um, I mean, my, as you said, my original training was in economics and company finance. I, I ran a little tax practice in uh, Canberra, Queanbeyan for three years um, back in the ooh, late 70s, early 80s. I'd have always been interested in um, health in terms of, without being fanatical, having a sensible diet simple things that one could do at home like reflexology. I, I think it was uh, Eunice Ingram or Ingham. Uh, some of you will probably know that. She was a bit of a pioneer uh, in that sort of field um, 40, 50 years ago. And uh, friends and I used to exchange little foot massages. <laughs> but uh, that's very different, of course, to prescribing ingestive therapies. And I guess uh, it is a long story, uh, and I don't want to go into all of it because some of it is very personal, but uh, my needs to try and uh, help my children, particularly one of them who uh, suffered some um, unfortunate reactions uh, to medicines, uh, led me to really start looking at natural medicine. And I reached the point where I decided I was going to change my career path and I was living uh, in a relatively remote area uh, in southern Queensland and then moved to uh, northern New South Wales. And I had a bit of time on my hands to study, so I started studying everything I could, flower essences, the tissue salts, uh, nutrition, herbal medicine, And I didn't start with homeopathy when I first started uh, seeing patients. And when I say that, I mean like one or two a week, um, doing other things as well. I wasn't using homeopathy. And someone mentioned that to me. And I uh, read about uh, Dr. Hunneman, the founder, and something really touched me quite deeply. And I then started studying it and found uh, that I felt very much at home 
because the, the, the particular thing that resonated was that Hahnemann talked about people as an entity. There was more than just our physical body. There was our intellectual self, our emotional self, and, of course, who knows what else. But that really rang a chord with me because I'd been interested in esoteric studies for uh, many years prior to that. And so when I started studying homeopathy seriously, I felt that uh, this was what I would focus on. And then one thing led to another to today. It's, um, it's quite an incredible story, Isaac. And a lot of people have, you know, gone after you and, you know, probably even before you and, and studied similar sorts of things and, and found a similar sort of journey. And, and, of course, over the last 15 to 20 years and probably even 25 to 30 years, there's been some significant changes in the health climate i suppose you could say and maybe even the in the way in which we were able to practice say 20 years ago to compare to the way we're able to practice these days you know i know as a naturopath myself um having practiced homeopathy in the past and absolutely loved it i found that probably you know as as early as 15 years ago um you know the climate started to change so significantly that uh people started to almost discredit um the practice of homeopathy have you found that uh the climate's changed a lot over the last 10 to 15 years maybe 20 years where people now kind of think twice or three times before they would consider using homeopathy it's interesting damien because um in australia we have i think to our uh, misfortune have tended to adopt the American health model rather than the European health model. And in America, uh, at the near very early 1800s, uh, leading through to the 1900s, homeopathy was used relatively extensively. And in fact, uh, in the early 1900s, uh, there about a third of all American GPs were also homeopathic practitioners. That's how popular it was. And then the infamous Flexer report uh, was produced and the, um, the climate for natural medicine, but particularly homeopathy in America, changed dramatically. And so someone from America would be very familiar with a naturopath, much less familiar with a homeopath, whereas in Europe it's often the other way around. Uh, people are more familiar with homeopaths than naturopaths. And when you look at South America... When you look at the Indian subcontinent uh, and all the nations there and even southern Africa, uh, people are very much familiar with homeopathy, even more than naturopathy. So in Australia, because we've followed the American model, people here know about naturopaths much more than they know about homeopaths. Now, as well as that, internationally, since 2005 there has been a very definite campaign by uh, the pharmaceutical lobby, the international pharmaceutical lobby, to completely discredit homeopathy. It started with a, a, an article in the uh, Lancet and um, there was, following that, there was a, an editorial and following that, there was an investigations uh, investigation by the uh, British um, Parliament into homeopathy and whether it still should be subsidised because homeopathy is used still uh, very extensively in the United Kingdom. The old Queen Mum who passed away not that many years ago was patron of the British Homeopathic Society and Queen Elizabeth II 
whenever she goes travelling, she always takes a little black box of uh, homeopathic medicines. Prince Charles himself is very supportive. So if you like the... Um, <laughs> The uh, the gentry in England have been very, very supportive of homeopathy from the time of Queen Adelaide. But this particular article by uh, a group of authors, including Shang, who was the lead author, but Eggers was a, Professor Eggers from Switzerland was one of the major authors as well. But the Shang analysis um, was shown with hindsight to be very fraudulent in the way it was constructed. Uh, they were meant to initially compare 120 homeopathic uh, uh, studies with 120 matched studies in allopathic or pharmaceutical medicine and then draw conclusions about the relative effectiveness or otherwise of, of uh, homeopathy. In the end, it turned out, and we only found this out with hindsight because the authors didn't disclose in their Lancet article their full methodology, their conclusion came down to just nine articles which had been cherry-picked. And when the uh, full data was finally extracted from these people uh, two years after the publication of the article and it was reanalyzed by independent statisticians, the actual analysis in, in the sense of the collection of the studies that they were comparing proved to be positive for homeopathy. But this was a deliberate attempt by people in pharmaceutical medicine who had a big influence over both the editorial group at The Lancet and, of course, the authors of the study to discredit homeopathy. And it's really been since then, since 2005, that this very deliberate and a very targeted international attack on homeopathy has occurred. And it's happened, it's come to Australia. Uh, we have certain groups in Australia. I don't know if you mention names here, I won't. Um, but uh, there are groups of uh, pharmaceutical lobbyists who are very well placed, who have the ear of politicians right to the highest levels and who have a, a great deal of influence in this country over health bureaucracy as well as the upper echelons of our research bodies, such as the NHMRC. And so when the NHMRC uh, published a report on homeopathy last year, one of the members of these this lobby group was actually on the committee that the um, NHMRC assembled. They had no one with any expertise in homeopathy. They were meant, according to the brief they were given by the health department to do what's called a health technology assessment. Now, unlike just looking at individual diseases and, and how different modalities perform there, a health technology assessment is a, meant to be a broad analysis which takes into account effectiveness, safety, quality of medicines, as well as looking at the cost benefit. And instead of doing that, they actually excluded, the NHMRC excluded from their analysis, and this is their words, uh, any consideration of health, which is pretty remarkable when you think that you're looking at a health intervention and you're trying to see what impact it has on health. To exclude any measure of health, they excluded any measure uh, to do with the prevention of disease. They 
did not consider safety, they did not consider quality of medicines, and they did not consider or take into account any cost-benefit analysis of homeopathic medicine. And what they were left with was this very narrow little analysis of a limited number of diseases. They excluded any references that were not published in English, even though there are many, many uh, scholarly articles published in other languages, particularly European and South American and from the Indian subcontinent, as I mentioned before. So they really cherry-picked down to what they could find negative. And even then, they weren't completely forthcoming. They got a, a firm, they employed a firm to do the actual analysis work, uh, collecting articles and analysing them. The first firm that they got uh, didn't come up with the conclusion they wanted, so they sacked them and they got a second firm, Optum, and the NHNMRC concluded that there were no high-quality studies of homeopathy available. Yet when you look at the actual optimum analysis where they identify uh, the different studies which they've included in the uh, NHMRC analysis and they give weightings, uh, particularly using the JDAD score, which is the standard score for quality of articles, we actually find there are high-quality articles uh, and studies that have examined homeopathy. So they've really been quite disingenuous. And then they asked three independent reviewers to look at their work. Now, the conclusions of those three reviewers have been obtained under freedom of information and published, and two of the three recommended that the NH and MRC should not have come up with the conclusion they did, but they went ahead anyway. So when I talk about a very deliberate and targeted attack on homeopathy, then this is a a prime example which people around the world ask me about. Uh, I visited India last year uh, talking to many groups of doctors over there and every group asked me what's going on with this NHMRC report and <laughs> I ended up uh, in all of the talks I gave I had to spend about 20 to 30 minutes talking about uh, the report in some detail because people around the world Many of them, they think, what sort of rubbish is this? Uh, and it really is. Statistically, it's a load of nonsense. So the climate definitely has changed. Uh, and, you know, many, many people are concerned. And by the way, it's not just homeopathy. Uh, I heard a couple of, about a month and a half ago that the NH and MRC had extended their analysis to 16 other forms of natural medicine, which they say that there's no convincing evidence of effectiveness. Well, that's what I was going to ask you, Dr. Isaac, is that, you know, obviously the, the general, you know, the general public, I think, uh, because of um, the, the, the knowledge and also because of the, the way the internet is working is that people are finding the information and the people who are searching for um, people like yourself or alternative medicines or they are going to find that information because there's, they obviously believe that there's a the need for it. Uh, and with all of the stuff going on, how do you think uh, something like that has happened, you know, that has happened in reports like that or studies like that? How do you think it's actually impacting on the buying decisions of the um, of the people, of the general public? Like not just in people in Australia, I'm talking people worldwide. Does it affect them? And how does it actually trickle? How does it trickle down uh, the effect? And what are some of the considerations for them to be able to do something about? I hope I can remember all those questions, Lawrence. <laughs> Um, yeah, look, it's a very good question, and it's different, of course, for different people. It's interesting, and I'm sure 
all of you as chiropractic doctors would know this, that uh, there's a lot of evidence that the people who tend to use in affluent Western countries, who tend to use natural medicine, tend to be better educated. Uh, and by definition, one would expect that to mean they're better able to do uh, research, they're better able to filter what they find and draw you know, reasonable and logical conclusions. So from the point of view of of uh, those sort of people, I, I think that they will always continue to do that. It might make them look a bit harder. But, you know, the interesting thing is the harder you look, the better the different modalities of natural medicine actually stack up against pharmaceutical medicine. And there, I say that for many reasons, but particularly uh, of late, we had our own health minister here talking about, I think it was 92% of uh, procedures being used or pr no, procedures covered in the uh, public health system uh, that have a, a listing uh, have not been uh, actually verified to a high degree of scientific uh, certainty. We know that um, the British Medical Journal online uh, has for some time now published an analysis of about 2,000 uh, different common medical procedures and, and we find that the majority, there's just simply no evidence and uh, it's only a minority of study, of, of sorry, of uh, methodologies, medicines or methods that actually have rigorous evidence base. And, and we hear all the time uh, people in orthodox medicine talking about the evidence base. They have the evidence base and we don't in natural medicine. Well, it's a load of rubbish. And in fact, um, the people who do their own research and look at these things, uh, two years ago, Harvard University Law School brought out the most comprehensive analysis of the impact of the major pharmaceutical uh, companies on medicine around the world. And when I say medicine, orthodox pharmaceutical-based medicine, and they looked at the training of doctors They, uh, in their university uh, days. They looked at the continuing professional education of doctors after they'd graduated. They looked at how medicines were chosen in hospitals. They looked at the advertising procedures. Then they looked at the research methods employed by um, orthodox pharma to test their products. You know, the more you research this yourself, the better natural medicine looks uh, to intelligent people who can think independently. And uh, all I can say is that I've found my own personal experience that it forces people to take one side or another. And this is not always a bad thing. Um, I mean, obviously, to the extent around the world, not just in Australia, that this sort of pressure from high levels of the health bureaucracy, to the extent that it impacts health insurance, it makes a difference because some people just cannot afford to go outside um, the reasonably conventional uh, health insurance paradigms. And we know this is one reason for the NHMRC attack on natural medicine, because this is part of a, a broader attack 
on trying to limit health funds. And in fact, health funds have been outright asked to drop natural medicine from their, their list of benefits. And most of them, to my understanding at this point of time, have said no. And it's interesting, when you look around the world, there have been studies commissioned by some large health funds around the world where they have deliberately tried to quantify the benefit to the membership, i.e. them, uh, of using of their members using natural medicine. And in every case, it's been positive. So, you know, the more light we can throw on the truth, the real research um, that, that is done without bias or preconceived conditions like the NH and MRC research was, the more uh, openness we can bring to an examination of the topic, the better natural medicine looks, in my opinion, because we find how corrupted the evidence base of pharmaceutical medicine is. Now, that probably hasn't answered every one of your questions, <laughs> Lawrence, but if, uh, if there's one I particularly missed, please ask it again. Well, Isaac, I think it comes down to a few key things, doesn't it, in terms of the bias. Like, you know, one of the things is the fact that there's no compulsion to publish. So, you know, if you've got the money, you can run a thousand different tests. And if 999 of them say no and one of them says yes, you know, if you wish, you can throw those 999 in the bin and just publish one. Um, you know, and then, as you said, that the issues with funding, you know, there's been research to show that the who, who funds the study does have an impact on the results you get. Um, the interpretation of that, and as you mentioned before, the political lobbying, and I think that political lobbying stuff would be really important because you know, do you have stats around that, Isaac, as just, just how many uh, lobbyists there are from the pharmaceutical industry in Australia and, and what sort of figures in terms of money is being spent on doing that lobbying? Because I think that does have a big impact on the decision-making. Yeah, it does, Brett. And look, uh, the one thing one thing that America does better than Australia is it is more open with information and facts and figures. We are, believe it or not, quite a secretive country. Uh, and so I don't have the full data for Australia. But in America, um, you know, the, I was reading a book by a couple of uh, farmer insiders uh, some years ago, and so this, this, these figures are a bit out of date, but uh, the spend on lobbying and uh, advertising and uh, promotions into hospitals, things like that, and this would be about 10 years old, $32 billion a year, billion dollars a year was spent by Big Pharma in America alone. Uh, their influence on the uh, the politicians in America, there were on average two lobbyists in Washington for every politician. So every politician had two lobbyists on average chasing them around. I mean, this sort of influence is massive. Mm. It's very interesting with the current American uh, election at the moment. And, you know, we don't know exactly what's going on from this distance. They probably don't know there. But one thing I was reading the other day, that all the, um, the contenders, both Republicans and Democrats, are all criticising Big Pharma because of the massive price hikes in medicines and the uh, incredible impact that's had on the, the cost structure of the American health system. And the thing that was pointed out is that every one of those contenders, bar one on both Democrat, uh, 
Republicans and Democrats, all received substantial campaign funding from Big Pharma. And, of course, we know that the one who didn't, dear old Donald Trump, because he's got so much money he doesn't need to take it. So all of these politicians who are running for the next president, bar Trump, have all been very glad to take uh, hundreds of millions of dollars from Big Pharma. And now they're all criticising them, but, you know, I think it's a criticism with a nudge, nudge, wink, wink, to be honest with you. I don't think in Australia it's quite as bad as that. I think the problem we have in Australia is that, in terms of politicians, is that the average politician, I'm not a deeply cynical person by nature, and so I'm prepared to believe that, you know, the average politician here really uh, does have a genuine concern for the people of Australia and does want to do the right thing. But when it comes to health, they're given their advice by people who do have a vested interest in the pharmaceutical establishment. And so I would say that the majority of politicians in Canberra really don't know exactly what's going on with the health system. They don't understand... Yep. I could. I've had these conversations with people, and it's and they think that it sounds like conspiracy theory. Now, the the hardest thing to convince somebody, um, particularly in the current climate where mainstream medicine or or political and uh, pharmaceutical medicine is put up on a pedestal, the hardest thing to do these days is to help educate people around um, the need for a uh, a healthcare system in our country that acknowledges. Um, people's rights to be able to choose. Now, I know that we're coming close to the end of our podcast, uh, and I'm very aware, and, and I think the listeners need to be aware that you are starting up a new political party, or you're part. You're actually not starting up. You're actually part of involved, of, involved yeah. with, or on the advisory panel. I'm on the of, advisory board. Yep. Okay. Of uh, of the Health Australia Party, which is a new, a reasonably new party to the Australian political sphere. In the next five minutes or so, given that's all we've got, are you able to explain yep. to the to our listeners what will be the benefits and why do we actually need another party? Good. Thank you, Damien. Yeah, look, the the reason I was prepared to um, be on the advisory board um, and why I'm very happy to talk about the Health Australia Party is because of my concerns about what's happening with uh, health in Australia and and the the things we've talked about earlier uh, exactly are to that point. I think we need a different paradigm and we need to move from the situation now where we have a disease management system to a health creation system because we don't have that in Australia at the moment. We have excellent parts of our so-called health system in Australia, but they particularly relate to emergency uh, medicine, surgery, etc., The rates of chronic illness in this country are massive and so on and so on. So um, I'm very much in support of the initiative to create a new party with an emphasis on health, but not just a single issue party. And if people would like to look at the Health Australia Party and their, their website, they'll see that health is looked at in terms of not only healthy people, but the health of the economy, the health of the environment, the health of our democracy and the health of our society. So they're the five key pillars of the new party. And, I mean, we all all believe in holistic medicine in the sense that when we treat someone, even if it's for a physical thing, 
one needs to take into account the emotional and the intellectual aspects of the of the patient and i think politics needs that as well when we look at the whole of this country and i really believe we are in the most blessed place to live in the world uh, but we're not making the most of it because we we don't look holistically we don't look at the creation of goodness we look at in a general sense we we spend too much time looking at the removal of of badness and it really gives a very distorted view of of uh, the whole approach to life so that this new uh, party is running uh, senate candidates in particular and our goal is to to protect people's rights to choose the forms of health care that they wish, including pharmaceutical medicine, including surgery. In other words, we believe, we genuinely believe in integrative medicine, where the best of all forms of medicine uh, are able to be practised and used for the patient, not just uh, a, a big focus, uh, a weight on pharmaceutical medicine, and maybe on another day I'll, I can talk about my four visits to Cuba where they have a system like that, a very poor country, but the quality of health care and their public health system and the availability of it, there's a lot that we could learn from that. So that's what this new party is aiming to try and do, to bring openness and awareness, to go to Canberra and, and look uh, people in the Senate, senators, in the eye as colleagues and say, listen, you haven't been told all the facts about health in Australia. And let me have a, let me share information with you. And I think if you can do that as a colleague, as opposed to someone knocking on their door from the outside, the chances of being listened to are much greater and the chances of making enormous improvements uh, in the health system in this country. I mean, there is so much waste uh, in the health system in Australia. Billions of dollars a year could be saved and we could end up with a better system, not a worse system, by saving money. And uh, look, I could go on for another half hour. I well, know we don't have that time. <laughs> Dr. Isaac, thank you so much. Like, I think what you have given us is a, a different perspective uh, and uh, for people to to see this point of view and, and, and just to see your point of view as well and, and, and to people that are, that are like yourself. I mean, I think it's an ambitious goal that you actually have uh, for, you know, everybody involved. And But I think we need that. I think we need, you know, you need to have people who, who want to tackle this because you, you know, obviously from, from what I can tell is that you have this goal to, or everybody that's involved, they want to have this goal to actually change and make the difference uh, for the betterment of the, uh, I think, the health of Australia and also for other countries as well. So thank you for, so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And what we're going to do, uh, Dr. Isaac, is we'll put in the show uh, links to any particular pages that uh, you want us to link to uh, in our show notes. Guys, just go to the wellnesscouch.com, uh, go to this particular episode and uh, definitely find out more information uh, where you can get more information with uh, Dr. Isaac. Thank you so much again. Really appreciate it. Uh, thank you for your time. And My pleasure. Insights. Thank you. Uh, guys, thank make sure you join us on Facebook. Keep this conversation going. Go to the Wellness Couch and the Wellness Guys Facebook page. Like us while you're there. Share this podcast with your friends and families and other strangers you think need a wellness update. Subscribe to us on iTunes. And while you're there, please give us a, great, a rating and also a comment there. Until next week, begin creating wellness into your lives. Lead by example. And let's change the world's health together. Join us next week on the Wellness Guys Show. 
This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.